Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Good morning. Can I see everybody smile? <laughs> haven't seen those smile. I know you've been smiling behind those masks, but you know that's you haven't been able to see it, right? It's, you can only maybe see the little crease go up like around the corner or whatever. But uh, uh, a couple. Let me make a couple of just quick notes, practical notes before we get into God's word. Um, you know, the last couple of months we've been having prayer bookmarks for through the congregation, and we've prayed all the way through the congregation. For the month of May, it's one bookmark. I don't know if you've gotten that yet. Grab one if you haven't on your way out. And we're praying for our missionaries, staff, elders, children's, and student ministry. And it's, this will be just the one bookmark that you, you can use uh, all month long. And speaking of prayer, one other note. Um, this Thursday on the National Day of Prayer, when we gather... Uh, with some other churches outside, uh, if you at all, it starts at 7, if you can at all possibly get here early and come and park all the way in the back, perhaps starting in the overflow lot, and then we'll start filling that lot because we're going to be out on the lawn and, and moving out in that direction. And there are at least four churches right now. Um, Independence Hill, Jonahville, Crossway, and us. And we don't know, like, how the parking is going to be. <laughs> so if you come, try to get here early and try to just follow all. We'll have people out in the parking lot to help direct you, but uh, we'll try to do that, and that would be a very practical help. Um, wouldn't it be great if we just couldn't park the cars and we had to double park for prayer? Uh, we'll see what happens there. Tom Albin was a minister on staff at a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and decided to prepare him to teach at the seminary level. He would get a Ph.D., so he went to Oxford University in England, where John Wesley had studied 250 years earlier. And he signed up for a class on prayer. It was being taught by a world-renowned expert on prayer. And he was nervous about it because this man had had experience in the church. He had been through uh, World War II and he was part of the underground uh, after the Nazis had swept over his town. And he had such, uh, such an emphasis on prayer, he frankly was afraid that the man was going to say, you have to get up at 2 o'clock every morning and pray, and then at 4 o'clock and pray, and 6 o'clock and pray, because he had had some experience in a monastery as well. And it was not only him, but apparently other students had that same concerns. And finally, one of the guys in the class raised his hand and said to the professor this question, Sir, when do we have to pray? And this godly old saint said, I would suggest you don't pray until you need to pray. And then he paused and added, 
much like you don't breathe until you need to breathe. (laughs) Prayer is our spiritual breath, and it is the breath of life in the church. It is what God... Spirit uses to breathe life into the church. And we're going to see that today. We're going to look at that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So I invite you to your attention there. And I'm going to walk over here and grab my clicker. (laughs) Acts chapter 2, 42, you are pretty familiar with this verse by now. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we are looking as we go through here at characteristics of dynamic church life. And we've seen three so far. There was sound doctrine. That was the apostles' teaching. And then they were devoted to fellowship. Not just coffee and donuts, But being in each other's lives and sharing financially and eating meals together and really being together. And then they were devoted to worship. They broke bread often. They remembered the Lord often. They were praising God. And today we add the fourth one. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And in this message, I want to ask and answer three questions. Why did they pray? How and... When did they pray and what should we do? So the first question is, why did they pray? And I think there are at least a couple of reasons. There, there may be more, but there are at least a couple of reasons. And the first one is that Jesus modeled prayer for them. They, they, they had walked with Jesus. These apostles had walked with Jesus. They had lived with Jesus. People had seen how he conducted his life, and they saw prayer. Now, we're going to take a quick look at Jesus' prayer habits, and specifically, I'm going to look at a few passages in Luke. It's interesting because Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, but the reason why we go to Luke is that of the 15 instances given in the four Gospels where we see Jesus praying, Matthew cites three of them, Mark and John mention four, but Luke records 11. We see Jesus praying in Luke more than in the other Gospels. It doesn't mean that he prayed more or less at different times. It meant that this was Luke's emphasis. And we know Luke's Gospel, Luke stresses the humanity of Jesus. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. And, and Luke has more of an emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. And part of that is picturing Jesus at prayer. So, for instance, we won't look at all the verses. We've given you a lot of references on your outline. You can go home and in your small groups, you can look at some of those other verses. But let me take a look at a few of these, especially on this first one, Luke 4.42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Now, Mark makes it even more explicit uh, in Mark 135 that says he left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke doesn't say the words there, but based on everything else in Luke and the, the parallel passages, we know he went out to pray. The previous day was a Sabbath in Capernaum, and it was extremely busy for Jesus. It was a busy day. 
He had been teaching in the synagogue service. He was approached by a demon-possessed man. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then in verse 40, it says, When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. And moreover, demons came out of many people. So it was, it was a very, very, very incredibly busy day. It wasn't like Jesus had nothing to do. He said, okay, well, I'll pray because I don't have anything else to do. It was an incredibly busy day. It speaks of his habit, as does this next verse, Luke 5.15. The news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so the principle here is one that is may seem backwards to our human mind. We tend to think the busier we are, the less time we have to pray. But for Jesus, the busier he was in God's work, the more he needed to pray. The crowds thronged him. The opportunities were everywhere. And this caused Jesus to give more, not less time, to private prayer. S.D. Gordon says, pressed by duties, by opportunities for service, by the great need around us, we are strongly tempted to give less time to the inner chamber. Surely this work must be done, we think, though it does crowd and flurry our prayer time. No, the master's practice here says with intense emphasis, not work first and prayer to bless it, but the first place given to prayer and then the service growing out of such prayer will be charged with unmeasured power. Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, it's interesting to note what came before and after this full night of prayer. Before, he had some exasperating experiences with the religious leaders who were criticizing him. And after the all night of prayer, he did three things. First of all, he chose the 12 disciples. Secondly, he healed the sick. And third, he taught God's word in what we know to be the Sermon on the Mount. And so the principle is this. Prayer is crucial before making big decisions or attempting big activities for God. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, the context is that Jesus had sent the 72 out in pairs. And they returned to him. They had great news. Jesus, the demons submit to us. They told him about all of these wonderful things that happened. And he, and he warned them about pride And he warned them not to rejoice because the demons submit, but because their names are written in the book of life. And look what happens right in the middle of this conversation. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So watch this. Jesus stops right in the middle of a discussion. He sends them out. They come back. They're reporting, reporting about all the wonderful miracles that had happened. And he's warning them. And he's he's warning them. And he just says, Father, I, I thank you. So the principle is that prayer is natural. 
Prayer was natural for Jesus. It was just, it wasn't like, oh, now I've got to go to the prayer time. Prayer should be a natural, not a forced part of our lives with God. In Luke 22, the context is Thursday night of Passion Week. It's it's the last week of Jesus' life. They're in the upper room and... They're going to celebrate the Passover feast, and he's going to inaugurate this new feast that we talked about last week, the Lord's Supper. And even, even in a setting like that, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> and Jesus turned to Peter, and look what he says in that context. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So prayer is a weapon that we can use to help others in their spiritual conflicts. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, I'm praying for you. So Jesus modeled prayer for them. Listen to S.D. Gordon one more time. How much prayer meant to Jesus? It was not only his regular habit, but his resort in every emergency. When hard perplexed, he prayed. When hard pressed by work, he prayed. When hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associates and received his messages upon his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body or wearied in spirit, He had recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield to prayer as he practiced it. I think this is why the early church prayed, because Jesus had modeled it for them. He also, secondly, taught them to pray. He specifically gave them instructions about how they should pray. He said in Matthew 6, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. This then is how you should pray. Our Father. And then we have what is known as the Lord's Prayer. But it's interesting that it is framed as corporate prayer. It's not framed just as individuals praying. It's our Father. In other words, God designed prayer for us to pray together. And if we succumb to fear like, oh, what will I sound like? What will people think? I can't pray as well as this person or that person. Then we're missing the point. The point is we're just in the presence of our Father and we're talking to Him. Our Father. And Luke gives more explicit instructions or or, or expands on this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when He finished, one of His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray Just as John taught his disciples, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer there in Luke. 
And then he tells him the story the, about the man who has the friend who comes late and he has to go to a friend's house at midnight and get bread. And the friend's like, get a, go away. He's like, but he, he said, no, I, I don't have it. And he said he ends up doing it because of his shameless audacity. And that is followed by these words. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who knocks, or to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jonathan Graff is the founder of Pray Magazine, and and he's founded a ministry based on prayer. And he asked this question. He said, how does a church become filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God? There's only one way, through prayer. The Spirit's work does not come through gaining Bible knowledge, though that's important. It doesn't come through learning about leadership, though that's important. The Spirit's work doesn't come through dynamic small groups or the latest church growth ideas. The transforming, life-giving work of the Holy Spirit only comes through powerful prayer. It comes through becoming a prayer saturated church. How do I know this? And then he points to these verses. Jesus lays it out right here as he's encouraging them to pray, to ask, to seek, to knock, and says, if you ask, God is going to give the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, that's not giving the Holy Spirit for the first time. We've already learned in Acts that he gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to live inside us. This is asking for his fullness. So that's the first question. That, that's, that's why they prayed. Well, how and when did they pray? I want to just run through some things quickly. I'm not going to spend much time here because we're, we're going through Acts, right? And as we go through Acts, we're, we're going to cover all this. We've already covered, in fact, chapter 1. But it's good to take sometimes a, a helicopter view to just get a, a bird's eye view so you can see the whole landscape. And then, then when we come to the individual stories and accounts, we'll deal with them. But they prayed. Everyone was united. They prayed all together. Verse chapter 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with women, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There was prayer by the leadership when we come to Acts chapter 6. And they deal with that issue of the widows, some widows not getting the right amounts of food and so forth. They said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer was practiced when they faced urgent needs. Acts chapter 12, James had been beheaded and Peter was in jail. They prayed as part of missions in Acts chapter 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Prayer is part of commissioning elders. We learn in Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders with 
prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord. And like Jesus, prayer happened naturally for them. There, there are just times that prayer just happens. Like when you're in jail, it's not a bad time to pray when you're in jail. DeLon, all those times you were in jail, did you usually pray? Uh, you probably did. I think you did. About midnight, Paul and Silas and DeLon were praying and singing hymns to God. There it is. Just, just happened. Uh, in Acts 20, Paul was just saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And then in Acts 21, he had spent some time in Tyre with, uh, for seven days with some disciples. And when it was time to leave, <clears throat> we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Prayer was just natural. It just, it just happened. So we're, we'll, we'll go through these as we keep going through Acts. But let me ask, what should we do? We read about this and we see it. We see what happened. It's the year 2021. What, what should we do? And it's a simple answer. Pray together often. We should pray together often. Not just pray separately. We should pray together. We should pray together often. Many in our congregation are in a small group, a community group, a men's group, a women's group. And all of those groups pray together. And hopefully prayer will be an ever-increasing part of those groups. In teams, in team meetings, whatever the team is doing, whether it's a children's ministry team or the finance team or whatever team is meeting, prayer should be a part of it. There are church-wide prayer meetings. Like now there are two that happen on a weekly basis. We've got... 7.30 on Thursday mornings, a virtual time, and then now in between our services, a time that you can do it. There are the special times like this Thursday night, as we mentioned on the National Day of Prayer. There are special focus-type prayers like Carolyn and, and uh, Brenda are involved with moms in prayer, mothers and grandmothers praying for their children. But are there other prayer Times and opportunities that you can drink. There's the pastor's prayer partners that Carol leads, which is so beneficial to me and our church. So when God builds his church, it is devoted to prayer. Now we, it's funny, like this Acts 2.42, this is only like a little mini-series in the big long series of Acts, and we're, I want to, I want to ask one more question. I told you I was going to ask you three questions, but I, I want to ask you another question. Is this on the outline? Is that question on the outline? Okay, I didn't put it up on the, the first PowerPoint. What did God do? We've been talking about what did they do, and that's important to note what they did. They were devoted to sound doctrine, to fellowship, to worship, and to prayer. We learn from them. We see their example. But the early church was not perfect. The early church was not the hero. The early church had problems. 
as we keep studying the early church, we're going to find out what some of their sins and their issues were. It would be only partially giving the truth if we focused only on what they did. I think we've got to focus on what God does. Let's, let's take one last big picture look at Acts 2, 42 to 47 and answer the, the question this way. What did God do? He miraculously built the church. So what they're doing is a response to God and what he had done. So remember the context of Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and fills them and they speak in these other languages. It's the first time in the history of salvation that God had sent his spirit to live inside of his people. He had worked in and through his people all through history, but now he's he's they've take he's taken up residence in his people. So that's the context. Three thousand get saved, the church is formed, and they are devoted to these things. But what is God doing? Let's read it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles didn't go to wonders and signs school to learn how to do them. God did that. That's not something they could have come up with. And it created all. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property And possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. These are the same ones that a little bit earlier were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. But God's spirit working in them changed them. And look what it says. They with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. God opened the eyes and hearts of all the people in the community. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. God brought the conversions. Again, it wasn't because they went to a great evangelism seminar and learned all the the, the newest techniques They didn't even know what the word evangelism meant. That God was just filling them and God was saving people. So how did God, there's the things, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the wonders and signs, the favor of the people, and the the daily salvations. Thomas Rayner is a church consultant. One congregation, he studied the demographics, the five-mile radius It was a 60-year-old church. It was in a sparsely populated area. Blue-collar, agricultural community. Listen to how he describes it. The growth rate of the community was almost zero. Yet the church was experiencing rapid growth. When I visited, I was shocked at what I saw. The church building was in deplorable condition. (laughs) The parking lot had several pieces of asphalt missing. The roof was leaking in three sections. 
Offices had been subdivided with volunteer labor to make multiple Sunday school classes. Only rough concrete remained as a floor. How could such a worn, ragtag church building be the home of rapid growth? I discovered my answer in my initial interviews with church members. Three years earlier, a group of men began a daily prayer time for the church at 5 a.m. Just a small group of men said every day at 5 a.m. we're going to pray for the church. From that small beginning, prayer exploded in power through the church. Lost and unchurched people were literally drawn to the formerly stayed and stale church. Like the first church in Jerusalem, this church was enjoying the favor of all the people. What an awesome story of how God can work. Anybody here want to start a prayer meeting? We have some for you. We have them on Sundays. We have them on Thursdays. Pray in your groups, but what will God do? You don't need permission from the elders or the staff or the pastor to start prayer meetings. Just start them. I love Harvest. I love the people of Harvest. If if, if, if we, we wouldn't have time this morning, if I were to say, what were all the good things about Harvest? I, I could list a lot. It's a good church. Thank God for our church family. But maybe today we can just get a glimpse for something more. What can happen if we can be this kind of church that's really devoted to prayer? Not just praying a little bit but really, really devoted to prayer. That's our goal. That's our heart. When God builds his church, it is devoted to prayer. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.